good to see everybody. My name is uh, Pastor Joshua, and it's, um, it's great to be here. We had a great week of VBS, and uh, I'm really proud of all of uh, all of those who helped out. I'm very appreciative. It was a lot of hard work, and uh, it was great to, uh, to do that. We're doing a series called Lost Causes, and what we're doing is we're kind of doing these biographical sketches and evaluating them according to the Bible and what the Bible has to say about the God of lost causes. Last week we looked at Paul. This week we're going to look at Augustine. Next week Martin Luther, then Charles Spurgeon, and then finally C.S. Lewis. All these guys totally lost. No way we would have ever guessed that they would become Christians ever. And then God came in and saved their life. Now, today is Augustine. And before I pray, a couple of things. First of all, if you're from the East Coast or if you're really fancy, you say Augustine. All right? But since I'm from Oklahoma and I'm a hick, amen, which is to be preferred, I say Augustine. Now, I've had people say, it's not Augustine, it's Augustine. And I'm like, for me, it's Augustine. So that's the way I say it. So we're talking about Augustine, or if you like, you can say Augustine. This guy was so big time in the movement of Christianity and influential in culture that at the 1600th anniversary of his conversion to Christianity, which was 1986, Time Magazine did a big feature on this guy. That's how big he was. I mean, you know you're big time when 1,600 years after you become a Christian, everybody's like, we need to talk about you. You know, you have become big time. Augustine's a big time guy, but he was really, really messed up dude before he met Jesus. So we're going to talk about that. So let me pray, and we'll be looking at that today. God, I thank you that you are the God of lost causes, that you come into our world, that you seek and save the lost. God, I thank you that through your word and through your son, Jesus, anybody can be transformed. Anybody can be changed. And even now, God, we all stand before you still in some ways lost, looking for your grace to help us to grow and to mature and to become the men and women you want us to be. We are dependent upon you. So use today in the word, in this time together, to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible. And really the theme today... Uh, is more than just a man in church history. It's really a biblical concept we're looking at. Ephesians chapter 2, which is kind of in your New Testament, we're looking at the problem, and kind of the topic today is the problem of human beings and the problem of sin, and really the nature of human sin, and then the nature of God's grace. Now, the nature of human sin can be seen in any of our lives in a very simple idea. The idea is that even if intellectually you understand in your mind what is right, you know what the right thing is to do, yet still, sometimes in our life, when we know what's right and we even want to do what's right, we still can rebel. That's the nature and the problem and the emergency of human sin. Or let me put it to you another way. If you come to an alcoholic and you say to an alcoholic, If you keep drinking the way you're drinking, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to ruin your marriage, you're going to ruin your family, you're going to lose your job, you're possibly going to get in an accident, hurt hurt somebody, 
If you continue to drink, you're going to ruin your life. And they can look at you, and in, in a moment of lucidity, they can look at you and go, I know. And they can still do it, right? They still will do it. Or I could look at you and I could say, you know, if you continue to harbor bitterness against the fact that I'm from Oklahoma and I talk like a hick, okay, and and you continue to harbor bitterness against me all week long, it's not going to hurt me, it's going to hurt you. And you can intellectually know you're going to have a worse week if you harbor bitterness. And yet still, because you are sinful, because you have original sin in you, you can still do it even if you know it's going to hurt you in the end. This is the emergency of human beings. This is the question of what's wrong with us. Even if you're moral. Even if you can follow rules. Even if everybody looks at you and goes, man, they've got it together. They've got it going on. And yet, I could come to you and say, you know, you probably feel better than other people. You probably have a sense of superiority or arrogance or you struggle with pride over other people. You would say, yes. And I would say, you know that that's wrong. Yes. You know you should be humble, yes. You know you shouldn't feel better than anybody else in this world, yes. And yet you can still feel superior over against others. See, this is is human sin. And it's an emergency. There's nothing you can do to fix human sin. There's nothing you can do to completely eradicate this compulsion in our life, this rebellion, this perspective in our life that leads to compulsive attitudes and actions and conditions. There's only one answer to the problem of human sin that the Bible and and the Christian message gives us, and that is the grace of God changing our hearts, causing us to move beyond our compulsions, beyond our desires, so that we can be rooted and grounded in transformation. The only answer is the grace of God. Look at it in Ephesians chapter 2, and let me just read This great statement on God's grace from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says here, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is not good. (laughs) That is a not good situation. Verse 4, it gets better. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one, everybody say no one, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And what that, listen, what that statement is saying is that our only hope is God coming into the world through Jesus, giving us grace, raising us from spiritual deadness and trespasses and making us his workmanship. Our only hope for our condition every day is the gift of God's grace. In fact, that word workmanship, it literally means masterpiece. We become the masterpiece of God through his grace. He changes us, our sinful condition, into a, a, a canvas by which he makes a masterpiece. That's what his grace does in our life. It's kind of like, how many of y'all have ever watched the, those reality shows where they fix up houses, design on a dime or something like that? How many of y'all seen design on a dime? You know what I mean? And like these people come in and like with 10 cents, they take trash and they take like, you know, aluminum that other people have thrown off in the alley and they gather up all this trash stuff and then they bring it in and, li- and then they pimp out their living room with all this trash. Have y'all seen this? No? Yeah, I'm getting some. Yes, you've seen this. And they take trash and they pimp out their house with like very cheap materials because that's what God can do. And that's great. See, God designs on a dime. He takes us in our sinful condition. We are, according to Ephesians 2, trash. We are dead. We are dark. We are, it literally says, satanic. And God, in his mercy, in his grace, he takes us and he redesigns us into a masterpiece. God can take nothing and create something. That is grace. When Time Magazine looked at the life of Augustine, it outlined all the things he did for culture. He gave us all kinds of things. Even beyond religion, he gave us a just war theory. He, he talked about abortion in the 4th and 5th centuries and gave an ethical reason why abortion is wrong. Rationally, biblically, it's wrong he talked about all kinds of, of, of issues about whether it's right for a Christian to join the military or not. He did all kinds of things that we can't outline. But Time Magazine said that one of the biggest things he did was restore and remind the church that it's by grace that a human being is changed. So I want to talk about Augustine. I want to put him, first of all, I want to, uh, I want to put him... In perspective, I have a timeline. Look at how fancy that is. Doesn't that look good, that timeline? Oh, my gosh. I drew that myself. No, I didn't. Isaac did that. Anyways, you got the resurrection, which happened A.D. 30, and then you've got us in A.D. 2012. Now, last week, we looked at the Apostle Paul, a lost cause. God saved him. God changed him. He died in around A.D. 67 there, and you can, uh, you can know that he got his head chopped off for the faith. He was a martyr for the faith, all right? Now, Augustine falls. He died around A.D. 430, so we're looking at a few hundred years now after where we were at last week, okay? So that's where he fits on the timeline, and what I want to do is I want to go to his life. I want to start our sketch of his life and I want to talk under this, this heading. He's a heroic defender of grace, the Pelagian controversy. Oh, man. I mean, are you glad you came? <laughs> Dude, there is no church in Morton talk about the Pelagian controversy, I can promise you. You're not going to get this in Peoria. You're not going to get this in Washington. There's nowhere else. 
You're like the Pelagian controversy. What's that all about? Well, during the time of Augustine, when he was a pastor and a bishop in Hippo, Africa, there was this other dude, all right? His name was Pelagius, and this guy was cool. I mean, he was cooler than the other side of your pillow, this guy, all right? He was so cool. In fact, he was as cool as ZZ Top. How many of y'all love ZZ Top? Don't admit it in church. Don't admit that in church. All right, I'm going to show you a picture of Pelagius, all right? This guy was so cool. Look at that, that guy. He is cool. Does that look like ZZ Top? Yes, it does. He had this long beard and long hair. He was all pimped out. He was really, really cool. And he went around. Actually, he was a monk and a eunuch, but we're going to put that to the side. But he he was a very popular teacher in the time when Augustine was a pastor. And what he said was he kind of went away from biblical teaching on the human problem and original sin. Because what Christians had always said is the reason why we sin is because we're born with the condition of Adam and Eve. That's original sin. So the reason why we do messed up stuff, everybody say messed up stuff, is because we're messed up. All right? That's pretty simple. And Pelagius said, no, 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 no. No, what you should believe is that Adam is our model, and we've been taking him as our model, and we're born okay. We're born without sin, but we look at Adam, and we continue to recapitulate Adam's sin, but we don't have to. We have all this potential. We have an innate ability through free will, don't need predestination, don't need the grace of God, we don't need any of that stuff. We can, through the free will of God, we can fix ourselves. We can move beyond our compulsions in our sin. All you need is a checkup from the neck up all you need to know he said is that every day can be friday see i don't know why i did that but (laughs) so ultimately what he said was is he said it's not our condition that messes us up it's when we mess up that ruins our condition we sin and that makes us sinful Christians had always said, had always said, that we're sinful and therefore we sin. So Pelagius reversed it and he was very popular. You can imagine this is very popular because if anybody comes to you and says, you know, you got it together, man. You're all right. You're okay. You weren't born bad. Why be so negative? Why be so dark about the human condition? Why, why do all this stuff? You're all right. You can fix yourself, and God can be your coach. He'll be watching in the stands. He's pulling for you. You can do it on your own. And Augustine said, whoa, time out, big boy. Love the beard. Bad theology. And what he said was, he's like, listen, it's all very biblical. (laughs) He said, if you go... Augustine said, if you go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says here, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Augustine said that what Paul was saying was that when Adam sinned, past tense, eris, past tense in the Greek, very past tense, all sinned. When Adam sinned, Augustine said, when Adam sinned, 
We were in Adam. Physically, we were in him. Spiritually, we were in him. And therefore, when we were born, we were born with the poison of a condition of sin. And that is why we ultimately sin in our life through actions. Our bad actions come from a bad condition. He would go on to say, he would say, look, Augustine would say, look, look at Ephesians 2. Look, go back to Ephesians 2. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go back there. Go back to Ephesians 2. Look at what the Bible teaches about human nature. This is biblical anthropology. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, but God being rich, in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, everybody say dead. You were dead. That's not an action. That's not, that's not some, that's not, you know, dipping, chewing, drinking. That is a condition of spiritual death. It is a condition. You are spiritually dead. And therefore, the fruit of deadness is fruits of darkness. And attitudes and actions and rebellion against God. Just like if I physically die and you come to my funeral and there I am. I'm in the coffin and I am dead. My condition is dead. Therefore, I can't do this with my fingers and I can't flick my eyes and I can't wink at you, Noah. I can't, you know. You know what I'm saying, bro? What's that? I'm dead. I'm not going to do that to you at my funeral. Although you need to know I'm going to be with Jesus. But that's another story. Right? This is, this is so huge to the gospel. Augustine literally saved the church in his time from the Pelagian controversy. But you need to understand, you live in a Pelagian world. You live in a Pelagian culture. You live in a culture that says, that's nice if you're religious. It's nice if you're spiritual. It's nice if you go to church. But you don't radically need God. You're not completely dependent upon God. You always have your own will. You always have the capability to do whatever it is. You can make yourself whatever you want to make yourself. You can be a good person in your own strength. And even churches in America, most evangelical churches now, are, are Pelagian. Because they're always going to come to you. And they're always going to say, God will approve of you if you make the right decision. You don't need the intervening grace of God. You don't need the radical mercy of God to change your heart. All you need to know is just that he loves you. You're loved. Now go do what he wants you to do. Augustine said, no, man. We, we need the grace of God. Augustine chose the darker, everybody say darker, the darker view of human nature. And you need to accept the darker view of human nature too. You say, why? Number one, because it's biblical. That's the ultimate thing. But number two, 
When you see the gospel and you understand human conditions so dark, so lost, that we all are lost causes, that we were born lost causes, what you begin to understand about God and what he expects is God doesn't expect us to be good boys and girls. God expects us to have hearts that are alive with his presence. He expects us in our condition, in our character, in our identity to be He's more focused on who we are than what we do. What we do is only a symptom of a problem of who we are. And so he was, Augustine, a heroic defender of grace. That's why he's so important. And he, he took ZZ Top Pelagius, took him down, right? But I want to go back because not only... Did he understand grace and human sin biblically? He understood it from his experience. I want to take, take you into his life before he was a pastor when he was so jacked up. This guy was so messed up before he met Jesus. He was a lost cause. And the reason why he understood profoundly human sin and God's grace is because he himself was incredibly lost. He was a sinner saved by grace. Now listen, he was born... All right, in a northern coastal African town. And he had a first, he had a dysfunctional family when he was growing up. He had a daddy who was pagan, and his daddy didn't believe in Jesus. His daddy didn't believe in God. In fact, his daddy was somewhat abusive in, in his family and in his marriage. His mama, whose name was Monica, she did believe in Jesus, loved Jesus. All right, but in fact, the only reason why Monica stayed in the marriage with his dad, even though he was abusive, was because she was Christian and she wanted to sustain her vows. And so she stayed in the marriage that was abusive. So his daddy was messed up, his mama was messed up, and then when they related to him, they related to him in a messed up way. In fact, he said this in a book that he wrote called Confessions. All right, if you get this book, it's like four bucks. All right, go to. What's a Bible store here locally? I'm still from Oklahoma. I, there's Mardell in Oklahoma. All right, Brian, all right, the Brian Bookstore. Go to Brian Bookstore. You can get uh, Augustine's Confession, or you can get it at Barnes & Noble, his Confessions. It's a little book, and it's an awesome book. And here's what he said about his family life and how dysfunctional it was. He said, quote, As I grew to manhood, I was inflamed with desire for hell's pleasures, my family made no effort to save me from my fall by marriage. Their only concern was that I should learn how to make a good speech and how to persuade others by my words. My father took no trouble at all to see how I was growing in your sight or whether I was chaste or not. And so Augustine's parents were way more concerned about him being successful, going to the right college, going to the right school, becoming a, a powerful uh, 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 person of influence. And their only concern was, will he make enough money? Will he have the right house? Will he have the right cars? Will he socially be able to adapt? Like most parents, in fact, we live in a Pelagian world. And in our Pelagian world, oftentimes as parents, we struggle between, I want my kids to have the right things. I want them to be able to be successful life, we struggle with more of focusing on their successful life than their spiritual life. We Americans are really good at that. 
And so uh, uh, what happened is, is that his parents are already jacked up. They got a bad marriage. He's got a bad environment. He's born with this sinful condition, and it leads to the next dysfunction in his life, which was sexual in nature, which is pretty typical for somebody in this household. Obviously, lust is something we're all born with, but his got out of control. His sexual life went totally overboard. In fact, he said this about his, his sexual life, quote, Lust stormed confusedly within me, whirling my thoughtless youth over the precipices of desire. And so I wandered still further from thee, and thou didst leave me to myself. The torrent of my fornications tossed and swelled and boiled and ran over. It's pretty typical for a guy coming up in a dysfunctional home because you're already sexually dysfunctional. And if you have a dysfunctional home, that just like, it's like gas on the fire. And this guy, he, start, he keeps a mistress from a young age. He has a concubine. He's sleeping around with all these women. And then one of his mistresses has a, a son for him, an illegitimate son, out of wedlock. His mom is so concerned about his sexual life that he leaves at one point in time and she begs him, please don't sleep around with other men's wives. And his response to Monica was like, whatever. I mean, he might have said it in Latin or something, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, this guy was totally messed up. He's living with all these women. He's got an illegitimate son. This led him to a life of, of wanton sexual indulgence in illicit relationships. Professionally, he was totally succeeding. He was becoming a, uh, a professor of rhetoric. He was sought out by famous Roman families to be a tutor to their sons because he was wicked Yoda smart, which was his curse before he knew Jesus. So professionally, he was making it. Personally, he was falling apart. And he gets to a point to where he realizes that all the pleasure in the world, all these women, all this lifestyle that he's built for himself and this success has left him empty and restless. And so he begins to look for weird spiritual answers. And he gets into all kinds of different spiritual answers to his problem. One of the spiritual answers was a philosophy known as Manichaeism, which is a dualistic philosophy where all physical matter is evil, and the only thing that's good in God's sight is spiritual, and it's this dualistic thought. And then he got into Neoplatonism and all kinds of other philosophies, and nothing satisfied him. He finally gets a really great job in Milan, and he starts, and he meets a preacher, a pastor by the name of Ambrose. And to keep his mom off his back, every now and then he went to church. How many of y'all ever been there? You went to church every now and then just for mama. You know what I mean? My mama used to say, get your butt to church and your heart will follow. All right, anyways. That's, this is why I'm a hick, all right? So he'd go here, and he really liked Ambrose, but he didn't let anybody on that he liked Ambrose. He really liked this preacher. This preacher really identified with him and preached the gospel in a way he could understand it, and it became, it became clear, but he kind of rebelled against it, and he hated himself for liking this preacher, this pastor, this church. I can't believe I'm starting to like church. And he fought it with all his might. And one day, he's talking to somebody in a house, and somebody's visiting from out of town, and they come in, and they share their testimony with Augustine, and they talk about how they became a Christian. 
How many of y'all, you got your testimony ready to share with somebody who's a lost cause? And it's just a soldier guy. He kind of comes in. He starts sharing just a little bit about his story and how he came to Jesus. And Augustine, I mean, like almost in a moment, he gets so convicted. He has to leave the room where this guy's talking. He, he doesn't want to hear this guy talk anymore. And he goes out into a garden, and he, and he sits down in a garden. And he's so overwhelmed with remorse and, and, and despair, and it feels like his, his, his shoulders in his foot. He's so depressed. He says when he's in the garden, he said, I, I tore my hair and hammered my forehead with my fist and I locked my fingers and hugged my knees. Literally, he's in this garden area and he's like this and he's just so miserable and he's just pounding his head. Now, this is a guy who's had all the sex he's ever wanted. He's had all the fame he's ever wanted. He's become this awesome professor. He's made all this money, and he's miserable in his garden. He's just doing this, and suddenly he hears children singing a song because they've just left VBS. (laughs) And their song is, Take Up and Read. They're singing these kids, Take Up and Read, although it's in Latin. Take Up and Read, Take Up and Read. And he looks, and there's a book and he goes and picks up this book, and he opens it up, and it's Paul's epistles. And the very place he opens the book up to falls on these verses from Romans chapter 13 and verse 13. He reads this line. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies. And drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I mean, this literally is the place he turns to. Can you believe that? I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, like he opens it up, and it is the verses that have described his very life. And they, he's like, you got to leave the orgies, you got to leave the sexual immorality, and you got to put on Jesus Christ, and boom, in a moment. Everybody say, boom. Boom, he becomes a Christian. I mean, in a moment. In fact, he says this about reading these lines from the Bible. He says, for in an instant... As I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled in a moment. That boy stood up strong in Christ in a moment. He goes home. He kicks his mistress out. He says, get out of my house, woman. And then he gets on the phone and he calls his boss. Work with me. Work with me. And he says, I quit. I'm done. And then he takes his illegitimate son and he said, boy, you're going to believe in Jesus today. And the little boy's like, okay, daddy. And that next year, the next Easter in 387, Augustine with his son, his illegitimate son, they get baptized as an expression of their faith. You want to know why he believed in original sin? Because he looked in his own heart and he saw wickedness and darkness and he saw rebellion. 
He wanted to rebel against his parents. He wanted to rebel against his dad. He wanted to rebel against the church. He wanted to rebel against Jesus. He wanted to rebel against his creator. He saw that. And then when he saw himself get saved, he said, there's only one thing that could save me. It is the rich grace of God flooding my heart with love and mercy and showing me Jesus Christ. He was a sinner saved by grace. Are you? And if you are a sinner by, saved by grace, have you forgotten that it's by grace? Don't ever, get to, don't, don't ever outgrow grace. Don't ever outgrow how you became a Christian. Augustine was a lost cause, just like Paul. He was so lost. We were so lost. We would, we would have stayed in our sins, you and me, if saved for the grace of God. He goes on. Lastly, I just want to talk under this heading. He not only was a sinner saved by grace, but he began to realize and he taught his congregation what I am trying to teach mine. That not only are we saved by grace, but we are believers transformed by grace. And what grace does is it gives us sovereign joy. Grace is not something that just opens us up in the garden and, calls and, and leads us to call on the name of Christ for our salvation. Grace is the very stuff of transformation. It's the very stuff that's causing me to grow. That same thing that brought light into my darkness is the same thing today that's trying to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. Without grace, I become a legalist. Without grace... I become either too far religious or I become too far secular. But in grace, I become exactly who God wants me to be today. It's all grace. It's, it's never, we never move beyond grace. He says about the transformative power of God's grace in changing our human condition of sin. He said, what ought to be more attractive to us sick men than grace Grace by which we are healed. For us lazy men, then grace, grace by which we are stirred up. For us men longing to act, then grace by which we are helped. He would tell his church. He'd get up in front of his church. In fact, the way he taught in his church, he sat down when he, when he preached, which I just can't do. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. I love him. I want to be like Augustine, but I can't do it. But he would sit down, and he'd teach them these simple sermons. If you ever get a book of his sermons, they are so awesome because they're so simple. He preached to, to farmers. He didn't go, like, you know, over their head. He just preached simple sermons. And he would tell them. He'd look at them. He'd say, you know, you and I, we're mixed bags. He goes, you know, there are some days when I don't want to be a Christian <laughs> there are some days when I'm still wicked and I'm still tempted by sin. There's some days when I am so almost overwhelmed by my desire to rebel against God. And the only thing that keeps me going is to lean in to the grace of God. He'd say further, he'd say, again, from the book Confessions. And this book, Confessions, it's a prayer to God. So he's talking to God throughout the whole book. It's the coolest book. He's praying to God the whole book. And he says, how sweet all at once it was for me to rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. 
You drove them from me and took their place. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. We ask ourselves, how does God's grace, what does it do in our life that causes us to be transformed? And he talks about it there. The grace of God comes in and it illuminates God to such an extent to where God becomes the supreme joy. Grace is leading us to enjoy God at such a high level that our enjoyment of sin is dwarfed and eclipsed by the glory of God. Our problem with sin, whether it's attitudes or actions, your problem today, if you're struggling with addiction or, or whatever it might be, your problem is, is that you're finding more pleasure in sin than you are God. And that's what happens to me too. And what we need is our pleasure in sin to be eclipsed by a vision of the glory, of the light, and the wealth of God. And grace sheds that wisdom into our heart. It enlightens our eyes so that we can fix it on Christ and say, I enjoy you, God, more than that sin, even though that sin can be pleasurable. That's grace. That's what grace does. It makes God the sovereign joy. That's what he taught. And it's biblical. I mean, you go, go, go to Ephesians. Go back real quick. He says, I'll start in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. You know what? Since I'm here, I'm going to give you so I didn't give this to the first service. So you're getting bonus material. Free of charge. You jump over to Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 16. Paul prays for this church. I pray for our church. The same prayer. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you all. Remembering you in my prayers. I can echo those words. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul is praying that God's grace will enlighten your eyes so that you might see the wisdom of the revelation of the knowledge of God. And that's the key to transformation. Did you know that the key to transformation is enjoyment? The key to transformation is joy. The key to transformation is pleasure. The key to transformation is desiring. The key to transformation is desiring God and us praying to God that he will help us to desire him more than anything else and especially sin. How is this grace given to us? He preaches the gospel well, Augustine. He says, 
I began to search for a means of gaining the strength I needed to enjoy. But I could not find this means until I embraced the mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ. What he said was the reason why God can give us grace, something we don't deserve, and give us joy in him. What makes that possible is that Jesus is the mediator between us and God. And in dying for us on the sins, he literally clears the path, all obstacles, so that God can walk right into our life and come into our life and change our hearts and change our pleasures and change our desires. And from that moment on, we are stirred. Most famously, Augustine said, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Augustine understood pleasure. He understood desire. He understood joy. He understood our desire for joy. And he said that comes from God and it's made for God. And Jesus died removing the obstacles so that we can get what we were made to get, which is joy and pleasure in God. A couple applications and will be done. Number one, from this lost cause, Don't ever stop confessing your sins to God. And the way, now you know how to confess your sins. You say, This is something I cannot control. God, I'm enjoying this. I confess I enjoy my sin more than I enjoy my worship of you. Don't stop confessing your sin. And then secondly, right alongside of that, don't stop asking God to give you pleasure in him. Say, God, help me today. On your way to work, when you're going to go work alongside that person that you would really love to backslap, you're really tempted. And you know, if I backslap this person today, I could get fired and lose my job. And I still might do it. And you're, you're going to, to work. And here's what you say. You say, God, help me to enjoy you more than I enjoy hating that person. Help me, God, to enjoy you more than I enjoy my sin. Help me, God. Give me the grace of supreme joy. Give me sovereign joy. It's by grace, God, that I'm changed, not by works. It's by grace that my heart is changed. It's by grace that you come on the inside and change me from the inside out. You can change my condition. You can change my perspective. You can change my mind. But I need you to do it because without you, I cannot. Are you saved? Are you lost? Is Christ calling you to pick up that verse that says, all who believe on the name of Jesus will be saved. Pick it up and read and believe. Believe in Christ and as a believer, depend on, lean on, surrender to his grace and that relationship that brings supreme joy. Augustine is another example of Jesus who came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. God, we, we know that the foundation of our worship is your grace and your son. And 
we thank you for it. We thank you that even though we're lost causes, you're changing us every day. Even though far too often we love everything else more than we love you. And we enjoy everything else more than we enjoy you. We thank you for the hope for those moments in our life where we realize that you're bigger by far, that in comparison to you, everything else is a speck of dust in comparison, a drop in the bucket to your glory, to your, to your wealth, to your beauty. God, save us today. And just as we've been saved by grace, transform us by grace. If you're not a believer, I just want to call on you I want to ask you, I want to invite you to accept Jesus into your life. As the verse said that led to Augustine's conversion, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is you come to him and you say, I am more a sinner than I originally thought. And yet I'm more loved than I could have ever dared imagine. I receive you, Jesus, into my life. And if you can make that decision, it's not about a denomination or a church or a pastor or a priest. It's not about water or what kind of building you're in. It's about your responding to Jesus personally in your life. And if you can respond to him, you will become a Christian. You are being born again. Your, your new life is only just beginning. And it might be time to go home and, and, and kick something out of your life. It might be time to ch- change jobs. It might be time to... Do something radical in response. Next week, we're going to be doing baptisms. And one of the first things we do here when we become believers is we get baptized. And being baptized doesn't save us. It's just responding to Jesus. But you could be baptized next week. All you got to do is let me know that you're a believer. And, And next week, just like Augustine got baptized, you can get baptized. You can respond and become a believer so make that decision and for believers let's just worship our God let's celebrate him let's ask him for the grace to enjoy him more let's ask him to become bigger let's ask him to become such a great vision in our life that every other sin in our life is eclipsed and dwarfed let's stand up and sing and worship this God of lost causes and let's worship like we are lost causes that have been found Let's worship like we've just opened our eyes to the brightness of the glory of Christ. Let's worship as if we've just found out for the first time that God entered history, died on a cross, defeated death on the third day. Let's worship Him and give Him our hearts today. Amen.